The following program was produced by a community producer. I'm your guest host this evening, Ed Lucy, and my guest is Laura Rossi. Rosie. Uh, Executive Director of the F Housing Family. Yep. And uh, that's an organization that plays a major part in a lot of ways here in Malden. Um, but for those that might not be familiar with your group, basically, what is your focus uh, as an organization? Well, at Housing Families, we work to achieve housing equity and well-being for all. So the bulk of our programming is based on providing housing services, whether it's homeless shelter or um, permanent supportive housing or legal defense for people who are at risk of eviction, uh, and coupling that with mental health and well-being, food, nutritional services. And now your background is a, a little different. In one way, you're a social service an agency, but you're also... you. An attorney, <laughs> and how did you how did you end up evolving from a from a, a, a law practice? I assume at some point to a, a social service group. Uh, well, I graduated from law school in two thousand eight, which was the Great Recession was happening, and I always knew that I wanted to go into public interest in some form. So when I was looking for uh, attorney jobs, a lot of them were being pulled back. So I had decided I would go into some administrative level of work and housing has always been a big issue dating all the way back to then. So I actually landed at Housing Families right after law school working as a housing advocate thinking I would build up my administrative law doing um, you know appeals for people that were denied from housing and learning what I could and then I would move on. But I ended up loving the agency so much and was given a lot of opportunity to grow and develop until I wove my way around the programs and landed in the CEO spot. Now, um, the, 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 your organization itself, it's not limited to Malden, is it? No, in fact, we're really growing quite a bit recently. Um, mostly we had served, uh, since I've been with the organization, Malden, Medford, Everett, Revere, and then with COVID, we really built out our programming in Chelsea, and now with the declaration of emergency that the governor recently issued with the EA and the migrant populations coming in, we really have expanded a lot. We're serving some families in Burlington, we're serving 100 families in Woburn, and still just growing and extending our reach. Now, at one time, were you called Tri-City? Now that predates me, Tri-City Housing. Right, okay, and that would have always been, now to enumerate on all those communities that you're involved in, um, it's 
far it's, beyond Tri-City. Yes. It was five shelter units that we started with in Malden on Broadway, 254 Broadway, and that was Tri-City Housing. And now we have over 200 um, shelter units, we have over 80 permanent supportive housing uh, units, and we serve over 5,000 people annually. Yeah. This may not, uh, a little bit of trivia, it may not be of interest uh -oh. to anybody but me, but years ago, the, uh, the Lucy Insurance was located on Cross Street, as yes. you know. Yes. And uh, prior to our, our being there, it was a, it was a credit union, mm -hmm. a, a, a local credit union that had phased out, and the building ended up, I, I think we ended up buying it from the bank. Uh -huh. That was not the credit union. But in any event, uh, one of our tenants at that time was... Housing Families. Which was AKA Tri-City, tri uh -huh. I think. And Ann Slattery at that time was the director. And uh, I gathered uh, uh, as a tenant, they were you were you were very good, and it was oh, a, 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 a <laughs> and uh, beyond that, when we were thinking of maybe relocating, I approached the, the Ian and asked if they would consider uh, they might want to buy the property. Just, and, and, and long story shorter, that's what happened. But yes, we have a plaque still, <laughs> a Lucy Insurance plaque uh, commemorating the sale yeah, yeah. and the work that you did and your contributions. It's in our um, we run a therapeutic after-school program for all of the kids that come through our programming, and so it's right there on the wall for everyone to see. Well, the other part that's a little, little different is that uh, uh, you've made a lot of changes in terms of the physical layout of the property, mm. but it had a, it had a uh, as banks will have, a, a safe, one of those huge safes that they, and that was never removed from the from the basement, and ultimately, obviously, the building was taken down, and now you have a total different physical appearance mm -hmm. and, a, and a total different situation. So anyway, uh, in some fashion, we've had a connection for a lot <laughs> longer than just your, your, and by the way, for those uh, unaware of it, Laura had been on this show, uh, I don't recall, it was maybe a year and a half or so ago, and mm -hmm. that would have been, uh, even now, uh, we're getting some of the effect of the coronavirus, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that had a dramatic effect on, uh, and, uh, and you're dealing with the public because um, uh, I, I don't know how you did it. Let me ask you that because in many instances there was a separation out. People you couldn't, other than maybe on a mask or an emergency basis, you didn't deal with the public anymore. So how did how were you able to deal with all those changes? That because you, you're you're dealing with a group of people who need immediate help mm -hmm. in most instances. Yeah, actually, we never did shut down. We continued coming in. We would mask up. Um, and our work is just not the type of work where you can't come into the office. Of course, we started incorporating some hybrid options when it was possible. And for families that were more vulnerable to health issues or for staff, we made more hybrid opportunities available to them. Uh, but it really is a field where you need to be building relationships, building rapport, and meeting face-to-face. -face. So we never we never shut down. And fortunately, the, the agency wasn't negatively impacted. In fact, it was, uh, we had positive growth during that time because if there's one thing the pandemic showed us, it was that deep correlation between housing and health. And so with all the federal ARPA dollars coming in, we saw a lot of investments in that cities were making into housing families, into housing to be sure that, um, you know, people didn't end up getting evicted if they lost their job. So there was a deep investment at all levels at the federal level, at the state level, at the municipal level, uh, really tailored on housing. 
the problem we're seeing now is that a lot of those resources are starting to go away and so we're seeing an uptick again um, with the number of evictions being filed, you know, the, it's, the housing crisis has been going on for so long in Massachusetts. Like I said, I joined in 2008 and we had a crisis and wait lists for subsidized housing were years long and it's only gotten worse since then. Yeah. Now, are your, your, your housing options for someone who comes, to, uh, do you, I assume sometimes you have referrals from other sources? Oh, yeah. And then... Do you have people literally come on their own because they've been referred to you by friends or they just happen to know about your existence? So you, you have a lot of difficult situations that I'm sure are hard to address right away. Uh, the, again, you always think of a, sometimes there's abuse between people in, in living under the same roof, in which case you have children involved. You're able to provide for, for families who have this kind of profile? Yeah, I mean, we really try to tailor our services so that we can address any type of housing crisis, no matter how it originated. Um, most of our families do come to us through the state shelter system, and they get placed. Like I said, we have over 200 units of family emergency shelter housing, and so that is where we get the bulk of it. But the prevention side and the legal services side, um, they actually probably touch the largest number of people, um, helping them with different levels of advocacy all the way up to full representation. Um, and so we just try to support them uh, continuously throughout until they do reach that level of stability. But that can take a very long time. When, when they move beyond your program, what are their options? Well, the, the family shelter system really has a low threshold when it comes to the income level, the maximum amount you can be making to enter the system. So we're really dealing with the most extremely low income families. Um, so you can imagine that, the, you know, they're not, they're not going to be able to pay market rent. So most of them, if they want long-term stable housing, they're going to rely on the subsidized housing. Which Section 8. Section 8. There's public, there's MRVP, which is the Massachusetts Rental Voucher Program. There's, you know, public housing authority. The Malden Housing Authority has buildings around. Actually, Cross Street is now subsidized housing. We have project-based vouchers through the oh. Malden Housing Authority. But the wait lists for those are years long, years long. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, the, 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 the home, the people that, you, you must be in some instance, like maybe maybe in the wintertime or uh, other times of year, that you literally have no, no housing available for them. Um, and do they have other, you have other sources they can go to that you can't accommodate people at that point? Um, well, so it depends on, again, their income level and whether or not they qualify, because if they qualify to get into state family emergency housing, then the state will put them in a hotel. So that you've heard about the families living in hotels for long periods of yeah. time, and that's why, because it's a state right to housing if you qualify. When we see people on the homeless prevention side of things where they're going through an eviction or their income might be higher, it really depends what resources we have available. Um, the city of Chelsea had a very robust, has a very robust um, prevention side where they have uh, hotels available and they have some longer term rental units available. The um, city of Malden, we lead a coalition there uh, through our Office of Housing Stability that you may have heard of that Malden invested in. We run that program. And so there's a group of providers coming together weekly where we can discuss these cases and see who has resources to put people up. But 
actual apartments out in the community, uh, that's just, it's almost like finding a unicorn, um, uh, matching it up with, with a long-term subsidy. It's very, very hard to help people just move from one cheaper manageable apartment into another because they just don't exist like they used to. Yeah. For, for uh, typically, how like if someone were not uh, uh, able to receive subsidized housing, let's say because there wasn't any, they were on the list, but there's obviously mm -hmm. people been on the list before they got here, so they have priority. People that have come to you for services, what's the typical length of time that you're involved with them? It's getting longer. Uh, when I started in 2008, I think our average length of stay in the family shelter was about nine months, but that is really somebody who is already working and has the potential to increase their income um, or has been on wait lists for a while. We have had people stay over five years. If you have a criminal history or if you have a history of evictions, um, it really, it depends on the unique set of circumstances, how far are families willing to look. So many families from Malden want to stay in Malden and the market is what it is. The housing market here is not good. So the broader range you have to work within, the quicker you're going to find somewhere to go. Yeah. Did, 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 is the diversity with your uh, uh, clients similar to what you'd have for diversity within our own community now? Mm-hmm. So you yeah, have that broad set. So uh, you, you have people with a language issue, maybe uh, um, they're, they're, they're immigrants from another country and all those kinds of added complications away from that we that we're not there maybe well in 08 maybe but before that uh, there was a less, less of that I think so yeah and there's uh, I mean I mentioned earlier the state of emergency you're really seeing a huge influx of migrants into the family shelter system um, and most of them are refugees fleeing countries like Haiti or El Salvador and um, we really try to make sure that we're hiring staff who have that language capacity to meet, um, you know, the same ratio of what the languages that you find in the communities. And you know, Malden, I think it has the highest number of languages spoken in the Commonwealth, at yeah. least within the school system. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have much, since Malden has such a large Asian population, do you have many Asians, clients that seek your services? Uh, the bulk of our clients seeking our services, are most of them are white. And then we have a high, uh, high level of black and Hispanic Latinx yeah, population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, funding for you, uh, to support your services, you, you have what source? The state obviously is one. So 95 or 90 plus percent of our revenue comes from contracts, whether it's with the state or with the municipalities. Our largest contract is with the state right now to provide the family emergency shelter program. Um, and then we have a number of f private foundations that support the more, those are mostly focused on the, um, on the housing side. The mental health side is really where we struggle to find funding because we really want our mental health services to be accessible to everyone in our program and not be dependent on having health insurance also because when you have health insurance, a lot of times they'll require a diagnosis and we don't want to be giving false diagnoses. Billing is complicated. So we've, we're really working on building out that program because with the, without that mental health support, the families who've been through so much trauma, whether it's just poverty alone or systemic racism, the experience of being homeless is in and of itself. You're not going to hit that stability part if you don't have the mental health support yeah. to go with yeah. it.
You mentioned mental health. Um, is, is that a major factor oftentimes, the people you're dealing with? I would say it's for everyone. <laughs> uh, and I mean, all of us should take care of our mental health, but uh, people who have been through our programs are um, experiencing a trauma. And, you know, going being homeless or unhoused is a traumatic experience. And then you add poverty in general on top of that and the housing instability they had leading up to the homelessness. Um, it's a lot of layers of trauma to work through. The, um, the after-school program, mm -hmm. is that still in place? Yes, that's the one that's at Cross Street now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, is that limited to the people that you interact with as clients, or does it include other people? Uh, well, so we've gone back and forth. I think it's opened up a little bit more than it used to be. It used to only be for people in our shelter yeah. program. Um, but we have opened it up to our homeless prevention um, side, so people who are uh, having some housing instability uh, can also attend yeah. as long as we don't hit capacity. Yeah. I don't want to check your memory, but you, you mentioned you came to the organization two, uh, about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you recall what the budget was at that time? Approximately? <laughs> I do. Uh, it was a, approximately 5.66 million in that range. And what is it now? Forget the inflationary factor. <laughs> uh, I th last year, I believe we closed out at around 14 million, and this year we're projected to be at around uh, 17 million. Yeah. And over that period of time, obviously, not only is the, the, the cost, that the, the cost of everything has increased, but you're probably doing a a bigger caseload than you did when you first were there, and you're doing more variable kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. you, yeah, we've you, more than doubled the number of people that we've served. Yeah, and you mentioned the five communities at least now that you deal with. The our core area historically has been Malden, Medford, Everett, Chelsea, and Revere, and now we're really being forced to branch uh, out more. You, you mentioned um, uh, Chelsea. You you ended up expanding over to that area. Were there different problems there than there because they're more recent than Malden and, mm -hmm. and uh, Everett? And, uh, than, are they, were there more difficult situations there that, than you might have had prior to that? Yeah, I think the, the families that we've worked with in Chelsea have more complexities in that it's a very large immigrant population. Um, and there's a lot of intergenerational living together. and they have had a lot of fires that we've seen which have displaced you know you would think in an apartment maybe you're displacing a family of five let's say but there because it's so there's multi-generations living together it has you end up um, having a lot more displaced so I think the overcrowdedness in Chelsea and all these people living on top of each other and subletting um, combined with the immigration piece, it just makes it very uh, more complex than what we see when we do the same work in, in Malden. Yeah. yeah. You had mentioned earlier the, s the sources of your funding. Do you do um, any specific kinds of fundraising where you get pr either private donations or corporate donations, that sort of thing? Uh, I know you have a uh, you're an organization that provide backpacks for, for uh, in September for children, mm -hmm. and uh, do you raise money that way, or do you get donations from that source? Yeah, we have uh, multiple drives throughout the year. The two biggest being the backpack drive, and then we do a holiday drive for gifts. 
um, and gift cards. And then we have a number of events throughout the year. I, our next big event coming up is our 5K on November 12th. Um, and our events typically tend to be sponsored by corporations, and so we're able to build out on those relationships through our events. Yeah. Now that that uh, November event, that 5K, mm -hmm. uh, you've been doing that on an annual basis? That we actually started during COVID because we had to think about, okay, what can we do? It started out as a, a hybrid remote event where people could run with an app wherever they were and still support. And then the second year we had it in Medford uh, along the, the river, um, right by Wellington Station. And, um, and then last year, it's grown each year, but having it in person has been lovely. There's um, a guy that owns um, The Porch. It's a barbecue restaurant and music, and he hosts a little event there for us after, and it's yeah. really nice. Yeah. And I assume there's an entrance fee for people that do run? Yes, there's a registration pledges, hope. fee. Yes. Yeah. And um, you going to run? You can build a team. <laughs> can I walk? <laughs> yes, of course you can walk. That's what I do, too. I walk. <laughs> you can build a team, the Lucy team. Uh, that's, a, that's a good challenge. I'll yeah. have to think about that. <laughs> but uh, so that, that, that now that's going to be November 12th? Yep. And um, it starts off at the porch in Medford. Okay. And now... Um, Anybody that may be listening that may have an interest in running, what would what's the entrance fee? Uh oh. Um, well, www.housingfamilies.org. Uh, okay. It's all up there. All right. Well, I'm going to have you repeat that, but I'm also going to ask those businesses that may have an interest because you have corporate sponsors. Yes. That maybe you have an interest not only to uh, uh, maybe financially support it. If they're not going to physically support by running, then at least they can they can write a check, and, and that would be what is again the website www.housingfamilies.org. Okay. And I have to say, the Malden businesses have been extraordinarily supportive of us. Well, we have lots of great relationships. Nice to hear. Uh, um, yeah. That seems to be. Um, I'm thinking about it for a moment, but. Uh, one advantage, maybe November is a better time than September because the weather will be cooler, which is not a problem for people running. But uh, um, it seems to me in the, in the local weekly newspaper in the last two or three weeks, it seems every every issue there's, there's a, some sort of a marathon of some... Of, a 5K. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's a common events. one, yeah. That's, of course, they had the one from the IA, which is Labor Day, which was on all for years, but there's been other ones since that I've read about. So there's a lot of competition for people that like to run. Yeah, everyone's trying to get healthy. Yeah, <laughs> one way them. or the other. Yeah. Um, are you looking um, for other projects or other directions you may be taking in the near future so that uh, the programs that you have now may not represent you five years from now because there's other things going on that you, you hope to be able to accomplish? Well, I, I think, uh, as much as I don't like to say it, the shelter system is going to be around. Um, but where I would like to grow and invest is in developing more subsidized housing, creating more, having um, the financial and staffing capacity to be able to buy some properties like we did at Cross Street and convert and um, build extremely low-income housing because you see these high-rises are going up. It's all luxury housing. Um, but a lot of it is intended for couples without children or you know small units and we really need more housing for families and we need it at all levels but housing families niche is going to be really for those who are at the lowest income level the yeah the, uh, you mentioned the high rises and that's um, 
something Marlin's looking into now, as you, as you may be aware, and there, there's been efforts now to maybe liberalize or broaden out the definition of, uh, or limit maybe sometimes the restrictions that are now in mm -hmm. place. And um, again, the, um, the subsidized housing does offer options for apartments, but sometimes they wouldn't qualify for number one, the rents are more than you allow, in which mm -hmm. case, and then of course the other option is that uh, they're one and two bedrooms for the most part, so which instance wouldn't accommodate those families. Presumably there's a lot of those that you're dealing with family as opposed to individuals and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah. Well, any now, do you have volunteers that help support your organization, and uh, is it is it is it people that uh, uh, asked to do some of the chores that help fill out the programs that you have? Yeah, we have an amazing group of volunteers that we rely on. Usually, it is in the form of drives, whether it's a food drive or the backpack drive. Um, but we have a great group of volunteers that have come in or we have client appreciation days where we host a party for the clients and people have come in to bake um, or support with providing the food. Um, we have a great community that really does want to get involved and support us and enjoys having the experience of working you know, in direct contact with the families and just, I think it's good because I think there can be a um, a stigma against people who've gone through homelessness and when you're able to bring the community members together to meet with uh, their fellow community members who've had a different housing experience it really humanizes it and I think it breaks down you really start to see like this is a housing problem more than a people aren't doing what they need to be doing problem so yeah. um, you know the volunteer part of what we do is really important right. The profile, of course, of the people that you're dealing with now uh, certainly different than maybe what it was 15 years ago for you because they're more likely that currently to be uh, a language issue and uh, in other instances, uh, the employable options that they have are maybe less uh, available to them than some of the people that might have been seeking your support from years ago. Yes and no. So to speak to the language piece, now with the influx of um, refugees that we have, yes, absolutely, that is a, a big shift in the population that we're seeing. But actually, right prior to that, the biggest shift that I was seeing was more um, couples that were still together, people that were working, and that their wages couldn't keep up with the housing costs. So it was less like the single mom coming in who maybe didn't have a degree or you know didn't have a job, um, and more just uh, people that uh, were just not able to get the jobs to keep up with the housing, and the housing costs are spiraling out of control. So it actually flipped the other way, uh, would be more people that you would not expect to be seeing in the system at all. It's just yeah. due to the costs. Yeah. During the coronavirus, there was also uh, uh, a limitation on eviction, so that that, mm -hmm. that wasn't an issue to some degree. Even if people weren't paying the rent, they weren't weren't able to be evicted. But there must have been an influx after the after they lifted that restriction, because all of a sudden there would be concerted effort to uh, get get that apartment vacated so that they could get somebody to replace them who would be paying the rent. So. All of a sudden, you maybe have you maybe had more going on then, and you you get overwhelmed almost. 
Yeah, right now you're seeing, again, these investments that were made into housing and prevention um, to help people keep up with their rent so they didn't get too far behind. You are seeing the state pulling back on them. The federal money has, a lot of it has been spent. Um, so we are seeing the buildup and the catch up now in the eviction with less resources to help yeah. folks. And as a matter of fact, the city has a funding facility for to help people with their rent on a temporary yeah, well, basis? Well, it's the uh, Malden Office of Housing Stability that Housing Families runs. Um, and it can come, we, ha we will have rental assistance from different places. We get rental assistance from the United Way, from the city of Malden, and through other grants, the Mass Bar Foundation, Boston Bar Foundation, other resources that we can use to pull together different pots yeah, to help yeah, them. Yeah. Of all the communities around, do you find most of them are very supportive of your program? That yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it isn't a kind of not in my backyard mentality. Knock on wood, not yet. Uh, yeah. But I think that's all the relation. That wasn't wood, that was glass. But <laughs> that's close. Close uh, <laughs> here it is. Um, but, uh, you know, it's all about the relationship building and the communication. And um, we really try to make ourselves available. I think all of the mayors of the towns that we serve have my direct line. So if something is going wrong, I want to know about it. I'm pretty hands on, um, more than I should be. I'm working on pulling myself out. but. It's, it's because that relationship is so important and just making sure that we're seeking input and feedback and not just waiting until it's a problem, um, but really trying to be proactive to reach out and say, well, how are you experiencing the program? Are you hearing anything? What do we need to do better? And incorporating that feedback. Yeah. How much of uh, an issue is spousal uh, 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 or violence or uh, issues like that where you, people literally leave their uh, their home because of the, the physical or uh, psychological problem they have within the home at that time. Mm -hmm. um, that's far from the majority of who we see, but there's also a separate system for domestic violence. I know that that system is maxed out as well, um, but I think that's the natural first place for people to go when they're experiencing domestic violence. Of course, we see it in our programs, and we do have people that have become homeless due to that. Yeah. Um, but it's not as prominent as, as um, like it's not 90% of the people are going through it. It's, it's a smaller level, but it's something that's always on our radar that we're always screening for and try to just um, have open conversations to just yeah. leave the door open so people feel they can have a safe place to go if, if it does occur. Yeah. Um, are you... Um, seeking additional source sites for uh, homeless people or is that something that's on your talk? Um, well, we're pretty maxed out right now with staffing. It's uh, uh, There's a lot of pressure from the state. You heard that the Guard, is the National Guard is going out and servicing a lot of the hotels that don't have providers attached to them. So there's a lot of pressure from the state, but the system as a whole has so much pressure on it right now because of the huge influx in growth um, that staffing up and everything else is um, has been challenging to keep up with. So I wouldn't say I'm seeking it out. I think more support is being sought from us and we're trying to balance being able to meet that need with not burning out our staff and building out staffing capacity. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are other programs locally that are involved with homeless people. Sometimes they're 
there's one, for instance, that the, in the city, but they're only providing overnight shelter on a limited basis, for instance, and then you have sober programs. Do you have people that sometimes also look to that source for support when they, when they, when they come under your jurisdiction? Um, like sober living programs? Yeah. yeah we, um, I mean, mostly we see that in our individual shelter, which is the former OYO on Broadway. Um, of course, we see substance um, people with needing some substance help across all programs, um, but that's where you see a lot of the what's called dual diagnosis of people who have a mental health condition coupled with a substance use disorder, and that there's very few places where people can go, and we're really try to provide a therapeutic setting and structure and supporting them in, in getting into appropriate long-term place. Right. And again, I think probably the profile of some uh, could be a good number of your, your prospective clients are people that have more than one issue when you're dealing with them, whether it's uh, homelessness or sometimes there's mental complications, other times uh, maybe people that have physical issues that they're dealing with as well. So you have a, a wide, wide parameter that you're dealing with to, to, to fit your program into their, to their needs. Yeah, I, again, you see much more of that on the individual side. I mean, I, I take for granted that anyone who's been unhoused for any amount of time really is going to have a trauma, but that might be different than like, um, you know, the, the more severe bipolar personality disorders that you see more frequently on the individual side of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, the follow-up after they leave your program, is that part of your uh, history? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we really try to make sure that people know you can continue coming to housing families. We'll support them in their first year after move, if they want to engage yeah. um, in when they move into their new home. Uh, try to make sure that we are connecting them to local service providers, because oftentimes it's not in Malden, and just make sure that they know they can always reach out to us. Yeah. Are you sometimes able to f uh, direct them to employment while they're making the transition within your program? That's uh, an area where we definitely refer out. We don't have internal employment search programming, yeah. but we have a number of partners that do that that we refer yeah, people yeah, out to. Yeah. You mentioned that you, 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 you've been getting a good support within the community here in Malden. Do you find the same result in those other communities where you're more recent there than in Malden? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, we have a lot of partner support and municipal support in all of the all of the cities that we serve. Yeah. We just, uh, Malden knows us better than anyone. Well, We've been a, here yeah. for so long yeah, <laughs> that yeah. that's really yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. where people know us best. Yeah. On occasion, do you have do you have people that have rental units go to you seeking, you do? So Not as often as we like, but yes, we do. We've had landlords that have had good experiences with us yeah. um, that, you know, they want to just work and know that there's going to be a steady rental source. And if there is a tenancy issue, that there's another party that they can reach out to to help them address it. Yeah. Um, so we have had really good landlord yeah. relationships. Yeah. Uh, uh, on occasion, because of the nature of, you, uh, of your professional uh, help, do you have sometimes legal issues with the people that you're dealing with? Not so much for what they do, is but they've left one kind of uh, disruptive kind of environment to come to you, and then the the person that may become the stalker, the one that they left, is becomes a stalker, trying to mm -hmm. reconnect with them after they've left and come under your umbrella. 
Um, well, that that is part of the domestic violence umbrella. Where, of course, yes, we've seen yeah. that where the um, the partner has found them and sought them out and um, put them at risk again, and having to work yeah, to yeah, s yeah. you know put safety yeah. measures in place or yeah. move them out of safety concerns. Yeah. What are the kinds of signs you see that it happens to those people before they arrive at your doorstep? Uh, specifically for domestic violence. Yes. Oh, um, well, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I am not an expert on domestic violence. I would turn to my staff, but, um, you know, from what I know, it's a lot of it is withdrawing from your friends or from, you know, if someone is normally engaged with us and meeting with us regularly, and then that kind of stops, and that would be a red flag that something is going right. on, yeah. uh, whether or not it's domestic violence or not um, is different. And th that's just where, you know, when I said during COVID, it, coming into the office, we had to. Uh, we are all about relationship building and creating the space so and the trust so that when things do come up, people do trust that we're a safe place for them to go to and speak uh, speak freely. But, um, you know, yeah. it's tough. Yeah. Uh, in trying to contrast your 15 years ago with currently, do you think you have more challenges now than you had when you first started? Well, I'll tell you what the challenge is. Yes, it's just the market. It's just the, an uncontrolled housing market. And the, that is my biggest, if I had one wish uh, to help us so that we could do our job, it would be to control the rental costs. They just are unbelievable. And, you know, once upon a time, there were, you know, more landlords, they were living on the property or that had smaller three-deckers, and they were affordable. You know, you could use a voucher there, and uh, the way the rental market has blown up is just, it's unbelievable. I, it's, even people with well-paying jobs can't find places to stay, so. Yeah, there's a, in fact, uh, there's a move afoot currently to, to put a, put a, uh, Paper on the on the docket for on election about rent control, which was rent done. stabilization. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think now it's even evolved into something else. But but uh, but yes, yeah. um, and that you know, there's different ways to do it. I know that people can have a strong reaction to uh, rent stabilization, um, but I'll tell you, when I worked directly with clients. You know, you have families that are paying $600 a month, $800 a month, if they're lucky, you know, and all of a sudden, okay, $600, $800, that, that's not likely, that's usually in a subset, but you know, like a cheaper $1,200, but then their landlord, they get a notice that their landlord is raising the rent to $1,800, $600 more than what they were paying, and there's no control on that. Like, you don't have enough notice to prepare or increase your income. So even if you can just limit how much the rent can go up so people can have an idea and plan for it and know ahead of time, well, at least if it goes up, it's only going to be this much and evaluate, like, will I be able to absorb it? Will I not? Even that would be helpful. In fact, I think that's done else in other places. There's, there's a restrictive on escalating the rent. Mm -hmm. And I, when, as you were saying, uh, I can visualize a situation where you have a two-family owned by someone for a long time, an older couple has tenants, stay a long time, and then for whatever reason the house is sold, with the house that's sold uh, either is purchased for an investment, which means two rents to collect, and an opportunity, especially 
and if the house has been maintained, and bump up the rent. Oh, the other thing, obviously, is the buyer has paid a lot more money than the original owner, and therefore the higher mortgage payment. So mm -hmm. the rationale is, if my neighbor's getting X amount, why should I be assessed any less than that? So yes, yeah. So re rent stabilization is not the same as rent control. Well, there, I just I think it's important to note that it can look a variety of different ways. It doesn't just mean yeah. don't raise the rent ever, um, but there's an array of. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm not quite sure what the wording is going to be. Maybe that's the pattern that it would follow because uh, that's been done in other places, and uh, you really don't know the result of that until you see the, the what the future holds. But certainly, it would at least. Uh, cap to some degree the, the the amount that someone would pay and, and uh, I, I know someone um, lives in a high-rise and not in fact is it even in Malden but it's a and, and yeah I asked what kind of rent they're paying and it, um, um, it's shocking amount uh, and yes uh, it's not unusual maybe people partner up and share the rent so that makes it yes. manageable and, and other than that that uh, there's a big turnover every year the least for two years when the the lease is up, they look elsewhere because they, but they're still, because the rent goes up. There's one in, in Melrose right over the mall the line. Uh, every year it's gone up, and I talked to a, a person there recently, and been she's been there four years, and every year um, it's been a raise in rent and um, big turnover, of course, but more important than that is what she's paying now versus what she was paying four years ago is a lot. It isn't. Yeah, it isn't no, a it's not increase. a small amount. And that's yeah. where, when you talk about the wages not keeping up, like people's income yeah. isn't going up at that rate yeah. that the housing market does. It's like that hotel fees. Now they charge you for dogs and cats <laughs> if you get them as pets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anything else you want to ask or tell me or uh, uh, offer out to the public that we can kind of think about uh, that there are people certainly out, maybe even listen to what we're talking about, that they're involved in situations which uh, are not really positive for them. They may be looking for a source. When you do an evaluation, there's obviously other options when people come to you that you can't accommodate them or they don't fit the, mm -hmm. the profile of a home you're looking for. So. In any event, there certainly must be cases where you can refer them to some other service or if you can't deal with them on your own. Yeah, we do a lot of referrals and we have great relationships. So our preference is to call someone directly and do what's a warm referral and not just ping pong ball people all over a system, um, but yeah. really refer them somewhere that can take them in and help yeah, them. Yeah. So, but in any event, if someone comes to you, they become homeless for whatever reason, they have two children, in the local school system, let's say, you don't you do have uh, space for them, and sometimes in 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 uh, the the apartments that you have available. But I assume they must be full almost all the time. Well, in most of our not most all of our um, apartments that we run for permanent housing, we get from either the Malden Housing Authority, Metro Housing Boston, Medford Housing Authority. They maintain the wait lists and fill that way. We can't take walk-ins about housing sure. and just uh, it would never be open. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No. Well, um, I appreciate you coming today. I appreciate you having me. Thanks well, for thinking and, of um, us. We'll check in with you. If not in 15 years, we'll have you come back sooner <laughs> than that because, again, society and the, the economy is very dynamic and so what's, what's, 
what's prevalent today in terms of the needs of public it may not be what it is five years from now but i guarantee it, you housing will still be yeah. up there it'll still now, be they have a program um where you, if you get mortgages from from the government sources the uh, 40b i think it is where you have to allocate 10 percent or something of the of the units of for housing would that be something that you could take advantage of well that uh, that's something that we so that's a tool for creating more housing within the communities you referenced right. beforehand um, some of the zoning issues and 40b is just a tool that one of many that people can use to um, make creation of more housing easy yeah easier yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's never uh, easy well, yeah. but yeah well anyway thank you very much for coming thank and you for having me Keep oh. up the good work. Okay, thank and don't you. forget to take off the uh, microphone. Just, just touch it. Uh, and uh, maybe we will be recording you at our 5K. We can do a reverse interview. All right, I'm going to check my <laughs> calendar. <laughs> the Lucy team. All right, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you coming.